0: We've reached the third part of our series on Lagrange points, those stable spots in the solar system where you can sort of hover with the minimum amount of fuel. This episode, we're going to look at the L4 and L5 points, which share the orbit with a more massive object. Again, this is the third part of a series, so if you need an overall explainer on what the Lagrange points are, I suggest you go back to the beginning and watch episode one. Alright, let's talk about L4 and L5. While the previous L1, L2, and L3 points are located along a line that connects the two masses, L4 and L5 orbit with the less massive object, maintaining a position 60 degrees ahead and behind. And unlike the previous points we talked about, L4 and L5 are metastable, which means that a spacecraft can loiter in the area without needing to use any fuel at all. In fact, It's a gravity well that a spacecraft needs to fight to escape if it wants to. As with the previous points, it's important to remember that any object in L4 and L5 needs to have insignificant mass compared to the two massive objects. Astronomers call natural objects hanging out in these regions, Trojans. So in the case of the Sun and Jupiter, you can have a pretty hefty asteroid hanging out in these points. In fact, the most massive Trojan asteroid discovered so far is 6 to 4 hectare, measuring about 225 kilometers across and having a mass of 9 quintillion kilograms. And many smaller asteroids have been detected in this region as well. For the longest time, astronomers knew that the Earth had trapped dust in its L4 and L5 points, but in 2010, NASA's Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer, or WISE, discovered the first actual Trojan asteroid lurking in this region. Designated as 2010 TK7, the object measures about 300 meters across, and traces an unusual orbit that moves above and below the Earth's orbital plane. In fact, Wise was able to discover the Trojan in the first place because it has such an unusual orbit that carries it quite far afield from the L4 point, and normally the Sun obscures our view into this region. Astronomers have also discovered dust in the Earth-Moon L4 and L5 points, known as Kordyluski clouds, but so far, no actual asteroids. Astronomers have found Trojan asteroids sharing Neptune's orbit. Uranus, and even Mars has its share of Trojans, which astronomers think might have formed out of ejected material from an ancient collision with Mars. Astronomers think that the largest Mars Trojan, 5261 Eureka, was blasted out of Mars more than a billion years ago, and that it was spun up over eons to the point that fragments were ejected into new but similar orbits. So clearly, nature has figured out how to use the L4 and L5 points. But what about spacecraft missions? Actually, so far, no mission has ever been sent to these regions. No Sun-Earth-L4 missions, nothing to Jupiter or Mars. There, the history portion is over. So what about the future? Are there any clever ideas to use them? You bet. At the 46th Lunar and Planetary Science Conference, astronomers proposed that a CubeSat mission be sent to one of the Sun-Earth-L4-L5 regions to search for additional Trojan asteroids beyond 2010 TK7. Equipped with an infrared camera, this CubeSat mission would be able to perform a comprehensive survey of the region, tracking down many of the larger Trojan objects. From this, astronomers would be able to identify potential candidates for future robotic orbiters and landers. Depending on their inclination to the Earth's orbit, they would require very little change in velocity to reach from Earth, which means they'd be inexpensive energy-wise. We could get a lot of science done with not a lot of spacecraft. Another mission that's coming together is NASA's Lucy mission. Due to launch in 2021, Lucy will spend 12 years visiting seven different asteroids, one in the main asteroid belt, and then six in Jupiter's Trojan regions. Its flight path will carry it on several slingshot maneuvers past Earth to gain speed, and then it will fly out to Jupiter's L4 region in 2025, visiting four asteroids, including a double asteroid. Then, it'll fly back to Earth, slingshot out to the L5 region, and visit another asteroid in 2033, and then it'll fall back down into the inner Solar System again. Of course, Lucy will be equipped with a standard array of remote sensing instruments to study the geology, surface composition, and physical properties of all the asteroids it flies past. In the last episode, I mentioned that there's no good use for the Sun-Earth L3 point. But there's actually one idea that might use L3, L4, and L5 to build a gigantic gravitational wave interferometer called the Astrodynamical Space Test of Relativity using Optical Devices, or ASTROD. Astronomers are already planning the Lisa Observatory to fly in the 2030s. It'll consist of three spacecraft flying in an equilateral triangle formation, 2.5 million kilometers apart from each other. It'll detect gravitational waves with more sensitivity than the best Earth-based instruments. The Astrod plan would take this to the next level, building a gigantic equilateral triangle by positioning a spacecraft at L3, L4, and L5. Each arm of the instrument would measure 260 million kilometers across, and by timing their movements they could remain within about 20,000 kilometers of this distance at all times. A gravitational wave interferometer this big would be 260 times more sensitive than LISA, Able to detect collisions between supermassive black holes, intermediate mass black holes, compact binaries, and even the gravitational wave vibrations left over from the Big Bang, a time that we can't see with optical wavelengths. A laser interferometer the size of the Earth's orbit. That would be pretty cool. These are some of the missions to explore the L4 and L5 regions, but I know what you want to hear. You want to know about the massive rotating space colonies proposed by Gerard O'Neill in the 1970s. Okay, fine, we'll get to that in a second, but first I'd like to thank Timothy Pfeiffer, Bill Munn, Rajesh, and the rest of our 801 patrons for their generous support. Educational content should be freely available to anyone in the world, and the patrons make this possible. Join our community at patreon.com slash universe today, and get in on the action. The most science fiction use of Earth-Moon L4 and L5 Lagrange points has got to be the O'Neill Cylinder Space Settlements, proposed by Princeton physicist Gerard O'Neill in the 1970s. The concept came out of a 10-week program in engineering systems design at Stanford and Ames Research Center in 1975. More than two dozen scientists, students, and professors came together for 10 weeks to design how a future space colony might work, allowing people to survive and even thrive in the harsh environment of space. The O'Neill Cylinder would be a giant rotating space station measuring 1,800 meters across, and be a home for 10,000 people. And To keep it in a stable location, they proposed putting the station at Earth-Moon L5. People would live in the outer ring, connected to the central docking area by six giant spokes. The centripetal force from the rotation of the space station would give the inhabitants artificial gravity, allowing them to carry on regular lives as if they were under Earth's gravity. Because it's located out beyond the protection of the Earth's magnetosphere, the space station needs to protect the inhabitants from cosmic radiation. Back in the 1970s, the design team decided that an active magnetic shield would be too complicated and energy intensive. And actually, it still is today, and we've done a whole episode on this. Instead, they proposed mining thousands of tons of rock from the surface of the Moon and surrounding the outer shell of the habitats with protective bricks. If you want to prevent cosmic radiation, all you need is mass. A lot of mass. It would be too expensive to bring it up from Earth, but electromagnetic railguns on the moon could be constantly throwing material into space that could be added to the station. Giant mirrors would reflect sunlight into the station at an angle that prevents cosmic rays from coming in. Variations on the O'Neill Cylinder were proposed over the next few years, like the Stanford Taurus and the McKendry Cylinder, but they all suffered from the problem that they're inherently unstable. If you have a long tube rotating in space, it has two axes of rotation. Whichever is the longer axis is the preferred direction of rotation, which means you have to fight against your space station wanting to tumble, end over end. O'Neill and the other solutions was to build their stations in pairs, which rotate in opposite directions from each other, balancing out the forces. Why don't we have one yet? Well, The amount of raw materials that will need to go into a space station of this size will help you understand why we've never built one yet. The larger version of the O'Neill Cylinder would require 4.5 billion tons of rock, steel, machinery, shielding, and other components. Even if the SpaceX Starship could bring launch costs down to $100 a kilogram, that would still cost about $450 trillion. It would require about 45,000 Starship launches to build one in low Earth orbit, not to mention getting it up to L5. And that's why it's so important for us to develop space-based mining and manufacturing before we have any chance of living in our rotating space stations. Although this sounds like science fiction, Blue Origin CEO Jeff Bezos laid out his long-term strategy for the rocket company at a recent conference. He supported the construction of space-based habitats, which look very similar to O'Neill cylinders. Someday, he hopes, the solar system could support a trillion people living and working out in space itself. And then, the vast majority of humanity will live at the Lagrange points. I hope you enjoyed this tour through the solar system's Lagrange points. We've already taken advantage of them with our missions and space telescopes, and I'm sure this is only the beginning. I can't wait to see what happens next. What do you think? Are you aware of any other ideas to use the L4 and L5 points in the solar system? Let me know your thoughts in the comments. Here are the names of the patrons who support us at the $10 level and more. Want to see your name here and support the work we do? Go to patreon.com slash universe today. Once a week, I gather up all my space news into a single email newsletter and I send it out. It's got pictures, brief highlights about the story and links you can find out more. Go to universetoday.com slash newsletter to sign up. And did you know that all of my videos are also available in a handy audio podcast format? So you can have the latest episodes as well as bonus material like interviews with me show up right on your audio device. Go to universetoday.com/audio or search for Universe Today on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and I'll put a link in the show notes. And finally, here's a playlist.